0: Okay, so here we are. Here we are. (laughs) Uh, I'm Grace. I'm Jeanette. And we're here at this grocery store that we work at. (laughs) And um, for some reason, after a year of nonstop bullshit, during this pandemic, working at this grocery store, we decided to make a podcast. Yeah, yeah, in hopes that maybe other essential workers can find some sort of know, what do you say? validation, Solace, <laughs> some companionship <laughs> on the internet. <laughs> so, I've never made a podcast before. Have you? Uh, no, I haven't. I've listened to pretty though. Yeah, I listen to a lot too. It's a lot of pressure. What are your favorite podcasts to listen to? Um I'm a big fan of politically reactive with Arihan and Canal Bell. Um right now I've been listening to a podcast called You're Wrong About. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Um, You want some of this wine? Sure. (laughs) This white gilt wine. Um, Shit, I don't think it. You want to drink it out of the bottle? Sure. There you go. (laughs) So I was thinking about the podcasts that I've listened to. Some of them are like, I feel like a lot of podcasts are like sort of intimidating acts to follow because the people who do them are like experts in something, who are like professionals at something, you know? Right. And like, we're not really professionals at <laughs> <laughs> professional grocers. We're professional We're professionals at putting a lot of groceries away and pricing groceries during a pandemic and continuing to function. But um, yeah, it's basically a very working class podcast. Yeah. Because mostly, I mean, we both have other things that we know how to do, but um, yeah. We're not like, I'm not like an expert in international supply chains talking about grocery stores. Like we work at a grocery store. (laughs) So yeah. Yeah. Um, A lot of the podcasts I listen to are like that, I have to say, though, I think my favorite podcast of all time is a podcast called Wrestling 2, which is about wrestling. Hell yeah. And uh, if anybody out there is interested in wrestling, highly recommend it. And those guys are experts in watching wrestling, talking about <laughs> it. So. Oh, that's yeah. a good, that's that would be good company to be in. Um, okay, so uh, I guess the first thing we should do is kind of talk a little bit about where we are and who we are, but we need to be secretive because we <laughs> don't want to get in trouble. <laughs> so let's just say we are in a very liberal place. Mm-hmm in a small grocery store, and um, we have been work wives for many years now. Oh, yeah, multiple jobs. Janette and I used to work together, many years ago we met working at a sort of abusive, fucked up coffee shop, and now we work together at a much less abusive, much less fucked up, but still kind of fucked up and still kind of abusive grocery store. Yeah. And we've also both been working jobs of varying degrees of shittiness and abusiveness since we were teenagers. Mm -hmm. Um, Jeanette, do you want to talk a little bit about your work history? (laughs) Sure um so what I was have, your first job my first job was a uh, McDonald's <laughs> in a mall that I won't name um, <laughs> <good job doing> <laughs> <secret>. <laughs> and um, yeah it was pretty terrible from what I remember however I um, at the time had family members like many family members that worked in fast food restaurants and environments and um, having that experience, like, I mean, I guess really was sort of my first, like, um, how do I put it? Like I developed like uh, an everlasting, like sort of appreciation for people that work those types of jobs, you know? Um, My second job (laughs) was um, at a Crocs kiosk. Back in two thousand and six. Uh-huh. I um, am sold. So Crocs. hand us hand us a picture of like so who you were during the Crocs era. I um was, you know, your standard metalhead goth girl. Um my father well yeah, my father's side of the family are Punjabi six and so I had incredibly long hair. So it's like pretty much like the only or one of like the main um, aspects of the religion that like, I call it. So I had hair like down to my knees, which totally fit my crazy goth. I don't want to call it crazy, actually. My you know intense goth aesthetic, and um, yeah, I wore purple Crocs, and they made us wear gibbets, which were those little things that you stick into like the holes, you know. Um, we had to wear a certain number of them on each shoe and um, yeah it was pretty good money for a sixteen year old mm-hmm. in two thousand yeah. <laughs> and six yeah and yeah shortly after that I began my what I like to call my coffee career. Um, and I just jumped from one cafe to the other it seemed for like eight or nine years or something. Mm-hmm. And then I ended up here. Yeah. Yeah. Do you ever miss working in a mall? Um, no. I don't. Good, because they don't really exist anymore. Yeah. Except the one you worked in still exists. Yeah, that one does still exist. I actually recently watched a documentary on well, it was like a short like clip, mm-hmm. maybe like a news report or something on like, how malls in America are like disappearing. Mm-hmm.
1: And it made me think
0: like, whoa, what if there are no By the time I'm like a grandmother, great grandmother. Yeah. And they're all turned into other things. Yeah. I think think think. there's one that I, there's at least one that I read about that's that was converted into an Amazon warehouse or shipping center or something. Wow. Because people don't buy shit in malls anymore, they buy shit on Amazon. So scoop up the real estate, turn it into an Amazon warehouse. Wow. Yeah, so that's crazy. It's weird to think about because, I mean, I remember spending, I was born in 1981. I'm like the oldest living millennial. And um, (laughs) I remember spending an insane amount of time in the Oh, yeah. Growing up. um, Like, hanging out a lot in the massage chairs in Brookstone (laughs) and getting yelled at. And also sliding down the Um, the strip between the up escalator and down escalator. Oh, yeah. Uh, And getting yelled at until they finally put in, like, speed bumps on the slide so we couldn't do that anymore. Damn. And also stealing a lot of Hello Kitty stuff (laughs) that I didn't even really want. But that was, like, when all my friends were stealing. Hell, yeah. And when I was even younger than that, when I was, like, eight or nine, I would go to the mall just to buy dollhouse furniture. <laughs> like, save up for, like, months to get, like, a tiny little miniature pot roast. i <laughs> like, go get that shit at the mall. Oh, <laughs> well, yeah. Like, at the mall, I mean, I grew up in, well, I won't say which liberal area we are in. Secret. Shh, secret. <laughs> but, you know, I grew up in a pretty, like, we're near some, like, big cities Mm -hmm. right but um yeah like I was sort of in like a suburb like just outside of big city we will not name and I spent a lot of time going to the mall too like there was nothing to do in the city that I happened Mm -hmm. to grow up in yeah that is in this greater more interesting area Mm -hmm. but um yeah when you're a kid like I don't know like the mall is the shit. Yeah, we travel to like other cities to go to like their mall sometimes. Like, hey, yeah. it's funny to me thinking about it now. Like having like, I grew up in Boston. Actually, I mean, I grew up in in Dorchester, which is kind of like an extension of South Boston, basically. And I was on the subway, and I could take the subway into downtown Boston, and I did. Actually, starting at a very young age, my parents. Um, uh made my brother and i take the subway to school like i think i started taking the subway to school by myself when i was in fourth grade so i was very like subway savvy and so when i was like 10 i was like taking the subway to the mall in downtown boston on the weekends and i realize now that like i basically viewed it as a playground where you could steal stuff (laughs) that you wanted (laughs) I mean, basically, when you think about it,
1: it's like I was treating
0: it like a parkour course, where you could like take a break from your physical play and activities to steal things that you wanted. Also, like the food court, like just fucking gorging on like hello um, samples of like teriyaki chicken and shit that were like on little um, that were on little toothpicks in the food court. <laughs> yeah. Or like, what's that, what is that pretzel place? Is it Wetzel's? It's like, it's like Wetzel's or Auntie Annie, great. Oh like, yeah, Auntie Annie's auntie Annie's or something. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah, I always remember samples from those places. Yeah. And, um, like there's always like one of each in every mall, so it's like, uh, which pretzel do I get, you know? Yeah, but it's hilarious um, thinking about that too, because like, um, the samples of teriyaki chicken and food court like, was probably the most flavor I experienced until I was like 18 years old because <laughs> I was like raised on Irish food basically <laughs> like I didn't, like teriyaki was a fucking revelation to me like I didn't know it was like basically MSG what is it, MSG and soy sauce or something Some Like shape. to I'm me really it was so just delicious. like oh, flavor explosion like something <laughs> other than salt and pepper what are, like what the fuck is this? Teriyaki chicken always sparks a memory for my first time spending the night at um, someone's house. So I'm a child of immigrants and um, I was you just not allowed. The, you didn't like, have this spice deprivation problem I had as a child. Right, but like I remember <laughs> so like my best friend growing up was white because the city I grew up in was very much, how do I put it, um, not very diverse, and uh, she invited me over to spend the night one day, and, like, my mom was like, well, I've been friends with her for four years, sure, why not? So, I go to her house, and her mom made chicken teriyaki, which, now that I've tried what it's supposed to taste like, I've realized that that was really not it, but I just remember it being, like, the most disgusting thing I've ever had in my life. Yeah and they made me drink milk with it which i'm super lactose intolerant yeah i had to wash down some that's insane weird quote-unquote chicken teriyaki with some milk and um so like part of me wants to congratulate that white lady for trying to cook something that tastes like something yeah but part of me wants to be like girl yeah. No. Like, you can't. It makes a really funny story for me, I feel. Cause it's like, fucking hilarious. It's <laughs> like being being I tortured could. by white lady teriyaki chicken <laughs> as a kid. And I remember going home to, like, my Indian dad and him asking, like, oh, would you eat there? And I was like, they gave me some chicken thing and, uh, I don't know, milk? And... Just looked at me, yesterday. like they would not let me have water. I was like, Can I just have water? Like, milk hurts my stomach. And they're yeah. like, Oh no, you need milk. Like, all right. Whoa. Yeah. And they also made me go to church the next day. But- yeah. You're like, Cool. It's basically like just a mini simulacrum of like the experience of being colonized. Thanks a lot. Mm-hmm. You're like, Here, you have to eat this disgusting food that makes you sick. And also, here's Jesus. <laughs> You're like, Can I go home? Yet? Oh, yeah. And I'm like, Am I alive? Yeah. <laughs> we need to dive deeper into like yeah um, religious. That's a good story. intro to white fuckery, <laughs> which was like the main thing that like I was wanting to talk about. Okay, there's plenty of white fuckery to talk about. There's so much that like so much of it. Uh, should we start with the white fuckery at the store? Or sure, we do yeah, like, global white fuckery first, because I was just looking at some clips. I didn't watch the whole thing, but I was mm-hmm. just looking at some clips of the like Harry and Megan interview. Ooh, uh, I have that schedule to watch. Yeah, let's just say some serious white fuckery going on. And um, what did I want to say about it? Well, that's why I was looking up that James Connolly quote. Like, So James Connolly, who is an Irish revolutionary, had this great quote that I couldn't find on the internet for some reason, but I have it written somewhere where he basically said he more or less said I have more respect for the most ragged dirty starving peasant Irish child than I have for any of the people who have sat on the British throne and um, yeah that's yeah. right there and the way that um, the way that Meghan Markle who's the first person of color to marry to their British royal family, was treated. I mean, they they basically like heaped so many microaggressions and other types of humiliation Macro, and macroaggressions and... and suffering on her, like that. They drove her to the point of suicide, of like almost being suicidal, you know. And um, you know her husband basically had no choice but to like flee his own family with his wife and child in order to like preserve them from being destroyed by white fuckery on like a macro fucking scene. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just, it's fucking crazy, dude. Um, so But at the same time, like I was, it was really cool to see her like even just the clips I saw, to see her like doing that interview with Oprah and exposing that shit. Mm -hmm. Because it just is this thing and it ties into other white aspects Mm -hmm. of white fuckery I'm sure we'll talk about. Mm -hmm. Uh, About how sunlight is the best disinfectant, right? Mm -hmm. And like what, what Meghan Markle did and Harry too, like in going very public, like very big and public, and telling the truth mm-hmm. about what's really going on with that family and yeah. how she was treated and the deeply ingrained white supremacy in the British monarchy and mm-hmm. in British culture and how she was treated by the British tabloids and how she was talked about and all yeah. that shit. Like, You have to fucking put that shit out in the open like for everybody to see and um, I'm sure that Harry is like in big trouble for being like a traitor to the family and more to the point being a fucking race traitor I mean like I have so much admiration for him because and obviously I have huge admiration for her too but um, he basically like how oh god how much does that have to fucking hurt To realize that your family is that fucked and probably not salvageable. Yeah. A lot. Like, yikes. Anyway, but good for him. Like, that's what you do. When shit doesn't fucking serve you anymore, you pack your shit and you go somewhere else, and good for him. Yeah. And it also, to me, it kind of proves like. I've been having this fight with my mother for years. I'm sure we'll get into all the fights that I've been having with my mother for years. But my mother is like this old school white lady who thinks that like blood family is really, really important. And mm-hmm. she forces our entire extended family to participate in an email list like, and share our lives with each other like just because we happen to share DNA, basically. Yeah, she thinks you should be connected with the people that you're blood related to, and you should mm-hmm. be sharing information of yourself with them and all this stuff. Yeah. Um. I tend to think that that's bullshit. I agree. I mean, I think it's it's good if it were if it works out. Yeah. You know? I have cousins that I naturally have a really good relationship with. I think they're cool, and I'm happy to have a friendship with them. And it's kind of cool that we have great grandparents in common and stuff like that, but I also think that you need to be honest with yourself when your blood family is Is destructive and toxic and you have like a major conflict with them Mm -hmm. about basic value, like your basic worldview doesn't line up with the basic worldview of your blood family. I think, you know, like, like somebody, in Harry's position, mm-hmm. at a certain point, you have to be like, "Listen, guys, we gotta part ways." Yeah, like y'all are racist as fuck, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I happen to be married to a black person and have a biracial kid. So, like, it seems like you can't get your heads on straight. So, I'm nice like, yeah, I don't think that even has to be painful. I don't think that even needs to be a painful decision. I think that can mm-hmm. be like a really liberating wonderful and, yeah. decision <laughs> totally so, anyway. totally yeah, yeah I, I don't know I feel like it's a tricky thing but that whole like you know blood being mm-hmm. it's thicker than water is something I grew up hearing a whole lot right now well and you have lots of complex family yeah. dynamics yeah totally and honestly kind of cutting a lot of those Or I guess, like, I, I don't want to say, like, it's not like the relationships with those people are, like, ended. Like, I'll still always maybe have to, like, encounter some of them. But I no longer, like, allow them to dig. It's, like, a, I guess a matter of, like, no longer allowing them to, like, affect you or your life or how the fuck you want to be. And, um, yeah, it's a really amazing feeling. Like walking away from to be family, able to tell certain blood relatives to fuck off, literally, and like yeah. never fuck with you again, <laughs> like, right? And oftentimes, like time makes that. I don't know. It kind of causes this effect where they like realize, like, oh wait, like I do want to be a part of your life. So it's almost like you know, in a way, like they'll. I don't know. There's like certain people, like I feel like, get into weird shit eventually. <laughs> <laughs> like um yeah it's like I guess what it comes do down you wanna, to do you want to like introduce your family right now sure I'll do it briefly okay. so um my mother is a Cuban immigrant who came over to the United States in 1969 um, with her family and how old was she she was 14 um and well, she came over. Like her parents had been forced. But her dad actually stayed in Cuba because he had another family. Um, he was we didn't he, he get was a too. very sexy man. Let's just let's just say he, he got was around se- the island. He was a sexy of, guy. He, yeah, he was around. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> Jeanette has lots of cousins in Cuba. <laughs> she's never met. Yeah, courtesy. and kind of, like all of courtesy of my grandpa and uh, lack of contraceptives back then. Um, thank you, I guess, grandpa. for yeah. the cousins, but still, like I don't know, man. Kind of fucked like, your grandma. You, up. Yeah, you fucked your grandma. did really and yeah, you know, nah, it didn't really help any of us, really. Cause she definitely passed some of that trauma down. But, um, so, yeah, that's my mom. And uh, my dad is a Punjabi immigrant who came over here in 1986 Um, or 85. And it was, like, shortly after the um, what's known as, or I guess, yeah, like, the 1984, like, attempted sick genocide, which you might hear me talk a lot about later on. But um, yeah, and so they ended up in this place that is very secret. And your mom was wearing hot pants. My mom was wearing hot, and your yeah, dad—no, like, she was on her way to church. Uh-huh. Yeah. Let's hear the story of how your parents met. So uh, my mother, okay, so before my mother was married to my dad, she got married very young to someone. Who was also from Cuba, and they had three children together who were my older Mm -hmm. siblings. And, um, you know, they got divorced, and then my mother on her way to church. church. (laughs) She was driving to church with with my grandma and um, my older siblings, and my grandma needed a pack of smokes to go to church. Mm -hmm. So they stopped over at a gas station where my Wait, father... grandma needed cigarettes to go to church, yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> I have no idea. The story is they're going to church and uh, my grandma was like, You need to stop and uh, we need to stop. I need some cigarettes. So my mom went into the gas station to purchase to send cigarettes. Uh-huh. And there was my father and he was apparently it was like love at first sight the gas station and he was like you know what have these cigarettes on me and grandma's church want to go to lunch with me in the house it's like how about you come to lunch with me next week and then she was like sure and then the rest is history i guess like they were married a year. for so many years and i didn't know <laughs> that the origin of Jeanette was cigarettes for church. Yes. Like, I need my church smokes. That was where Jeanette came from. I don't know what that says yeah, about you. But... I have no idea either. It was also at a gas station in the middle. Oh, I almost revealed the location. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, and then they started dating and, um, Where did they go to lunch? What kind of lunch do you have on your first date? Did I don't you know. Like they told me they went to some, like, it was, like, some diner in the town. And they had salads. Which is really funny because it's, like, if you come from, like, one person probably was raised on Cuban food, just mm-hmm. delicious. And one person was raised, raised on Punjabi food, just fucking delicious. Mm-hmm. And then, but they're different. Mm-hmm. And then your first date, you have salads at a diner yeah they had salad at a diner like what is that no idea (laughs) that's the neutral ground (laughs) let's have salad at a diner yeah And, and, and then have three kids literally and then my mom this way that she tells the story is so like whatever i guess what my dad was getting at so he, at this point, had gone through, he is like, I don't know, I'll probably do, like, a whole podcast on just him and his life. Oh, so we'll be hearing great. lots about it. I know. Um, <laughs> but, like, you know, he had just, like, finished his second master's degree, which he needed a second one he said he was bored after finishing his first. Mm-hmm. Naturally, right? Grad yeah. school sounds great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but... Yeah, and then he found himself in the US like after trying it out in like other countries, you know, and then And if I recall ended. correctly, your dad came to the US across the southern border. Oh yeah, like mm-hmm. illegally, like in a truck. Uh the back of an El Camino, the back of an El Camino. <laughs> <laughs> it's just part of it's like the details. It's just yeah. part of the mythology. The story. It's just Yeah, he was in the back of an El Camino. Yeah. Um Go America. Here's a gift. Here's a gift. It's a of in 1980, whatever. Uh yeah, five or six, yeah. I yeah. say. Yeah.
1: And um,
0: so yeah, I guess he basically had I don't really know. There's still so much I don't know about my dad. I do know that he did have like a long lost love that he met at like Punjab University. Mm-hmm. If you're out there, I just want to know the story, honestly. Mm-hmm. But um,
1: yeah, and then
0: she got Arranged in a marriage, and so their relationship never ended up working out. And after that is sort of when he kind of like lost it. Like, didn't necessarily lose it, but he just like wanted to get the fuck out of Punjab. Yeah. And, um, you know, if you're in love with somebody and you lose them through an arranged marriage, it makes sense that like a vision would rise in your mind of yourself crossing the southern border of the United States in the back of El Camino. He went, like like a a a he went to like a few other country <laughs> and like hung out. Like I know he lived in Frankfurt for some like reason. I think a cousin lived out there and mm-hmm. worked at a like Chinese restaurant as a cook. Yeah. Um, then started doing construction somewhere in Germany. Wait, your dad was a cook in a Chinese restaurant? Uh-huh. That was really? his first job outside of India.